and welcome everyone to another wonderful episode of CMV Speaks, the National CMV Foundation's podcast. My name is Kalia Fleming and I serve as the Executive Director of the National CMV Foundation. For those of you who may be new to our podcast or may not be familiar with at all what congenital CMV is. Congenital CMV or congenital cytomegalovirus infection is arguably the most common preventable cause of neonatal disability in the U.S. It affects more than 30,000 children per year. One in five of those children will have major health complications um, and problems. And so here at the National CMV Foundation, it's our mission to prevent pregnancy loss, childhood death, and disability due to congenital CMV through an array of different activities, advocacy, education, industry partnerships, and really highlighting scientific advances. The crux of what we do here is really centered on education and awareness, since so many people have not heard of congenital CMV. And we're really proud of programming such as our podcast, where we really aim to bring to the forefront conversations related to congenital CMV, whether it be from family members, those impacted, those working in research and industry related to CMV. This podcast is brought to you by one of our amazing partners, Moderna, and we are super, super excited to feature our guest today, Kadisha Smith. But before we jump into the podcast and I introduce her, I would love to spend a few minutes um, allowing my co-host, T.T. Wynn, to introduce herself. She's a wonderful addition to our CMV team here at the foundation as an intern. And T.T., I don't think we've ever done a podcast with you before, correct? No, we have not. I think this is also my first podcast in general. Hi, everyone. My name is Titi. I'm currently a public health graduate student in the master's program um, at Florida International University down in Miami. Awesome. Thank you, TT, for that introduction. And yeah, we definitely have to get you scheduled for a podcast, especially, you know, during your time here with us since you've done such great work with us. All right. So without further ado, um, we'll jump right on in. It's February, so it's happy to be back for another podcast episode. Um, We hit the ground running in January. And with Rare Disease Day being this month, we thought it would be a wonderful idea to unveil a fresh and new podcast episode. And so I have the privilege, we have the privilege of speaking with Ms. Kadisha Smith, and she'll share a little bit with us about her journey. So Kadisha, we'll just hop right on in. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, my family's journey with CMV started with my daughter, who is about to be seven years old. Um, my background is that Um, I studied public health in graduate school um, with a communications focus, but before I went on into the work world, I did a Peace Corps assignment in Nicaragua. Um, I lived in a mountain village that uh, had occasional electricity, uh, did not have running water. Um, My first year there, I got sick a lot with various parasites and bacteria infections. And I remember vaguely one of the health counselors mentioning CMV, but it was in a laundry list of other bugs they said we could get. Um, it was with a laundry list of other viruses and, and, and bacteria and pathogens that they said we could contract. And the one I was most concerned about was the parasites because that just seemed more urgent. So I didn't really think anything of CMV until I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, and 
during the first trimester of the pregnancy, I was referred to a maternal fetal medicine physician because they the ultrasound showed that she was not growing consistent with her gestational age. She was significantly smaller um, than what was expected for her gestational age. So that was very, I don't, I don't want to say traumatizing, but I mean, when you hear, oh, the baby's not growing, a lot of very uh, harrowing conversations start to get presented to you. Like, do you want to continue with the pregnancy and what's going on in your background and things like that? So that's when I was uh, tested for CMV and I tested positive. And they said, oh, well, it could, you know, one of the common effects of CMV is that it can restrict growth for uh, the babies in in utero. Um, It turns out, however, that there was a, like a, there was something wrong with the ultrasound machine that was used to diagnose her gestational age. So I was thankful for that. But even still, as we tracked the pregnancy, um, she was significantly smaller. And um, that's when CMV first came on our radar and became something that I started to look into. Wow. Wow. And wow. And I know, you know, we have a list of questions here, but let me just pause and say from one fellow Peace Corps volunteer to another, thank you again for your service. Um, I too served in Peru eons ago after undergrad, and it was a life-changing, wonderful experience. But hearing you talk, I do not recall at all hearing anything about CMV even during that time. So I'm happy to hear that at least it was mentioned, even if on a surface level, during your time abroad. Um, Thank you again for sharing your story with us. And, you know, it sounds like it's just a lot to deal with and hear at once. And so I'm really eager to hear kind of the rest of your story and what your day-to-day life is like and symptoms and things like that. So our typical day-to-day is pretty normal. I do have to stay on top of my daughter's. There's two things that I have to stay on top of, her nutrition and her vision. So she is still significantly smaller than her peers. Um, she's not even on the charts as far as the growth scale and the you know 2% range, 1%. She's, she's not even on the charts, um, even though she's about to be seven years old. And so with her, with her size being so small, you know, we have to be extra careful because it does affect her mobility a bit. Um, for example, when we were trying to teach her to ride a bike, she just couldn't stabilize herself during the turns and had a really bad fall um, off of her bike where she actually like tumbled into the street, which is something that happens a lot. So she falls a lot because she really doesn't have the, the body weight to match her height and frame. Um, and I, and, you know, with, according to our, you know, our physicians, it's, it could be because, you know, CMV kids can tend to be smaller. Um, and then the other thing I have to watch out for is her vision. So when she was born, I noticed two small gray dots in her pupils. And I asked the obstetrician, you know, what is this? They had a neonatologist come in and said, well, it looks like she has congenital cataracts. And there's nothing to do now, but we need to monitor this to make sure that these cataracts don't spread and make sure they don't impair her vision. Well, fast forward to her being in kindergarten and we noticed her squinting uh, to read, right? So kindergarten is where she like really hit her stride with loving books, but she had to get super close onto the book to read it. And 
we were like, okay, it didn't look like the cataracts had grown, but it apparently, according to the optometrist, they were getting deeper, I guess, into her, into her eye. Um, and they were starting to restrict her vision and her ability to read. So um, we had to, first of all, find an eye surgeon who felt comfortable performing surgery on a five-year-old. Uh, cataract surgery is typically for older adults. So we had to find an eye surgeon who was comfortable doing this on a five-year-old. Um, and it was about an hour drive from our house. And uh, when we booked it, it you know, it took a month to get an appointment, which, you know, in in kindergarten time, when you want to make sure they're on pace with their classmates for reading, that just felt like forever. Um, but we ended up getting an appointment right around uh, the Christmas break time. And we had to do one eye at a time. So it was one eye and then the next month, the next eye. And, um, you know, for a five-year-old having to recover from a surgery like that where, you know, you can't be exposed to light and and you can't, you have to sleep with eye patches on and goggles and things like that. That was a tough time um, for her, but she recovered like a champ. And even though they removed the cataracts, we still have to monitor her vision to make sure that, you know, as her, you know, as she grows and as, as, you know, she develops, she doesn't have any, you know, subsequent vision impairments. Um, but I feel like we have a really good uh, medical team that knows her history, knows what to look for. It's not just a typical eye exam with her. Um, and I feel like they know that and they're very accommodating. Wow. That is like just mind blowing that, you know, even at that young of age, they were able to say it was, you know, cataracts. And then to hear kind of her journey, um, you know, at kindergarten, I'm sure that was completely scary. I'm sure, you know, a lot on your family. Um you know, just curious, other than the low birth weight and the small uh, weight now for her size and keeping a close watch on her eyes and on her vision, were there any other signs or symptoms that you all first noticed? And aside from, you know, those two aspects, what does continual care look like? Those are the two biggest things. I can't say that we have seen any other signs of 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 the CMV in affecting her day-to-day life. Um, continual care is, is again, just staying on top of her nutrition and, and monitoring her eye health, um, probably a little more closely than the school physicals recommend. Um, I will say that, you know, congenital cataracts is again, not something that is common. So I'm, I'm, I'll mention this, the, the struggle with insurance was a thing, right? So yeah, I bet um, I'm, I'm sure. That yeah. was, yeah. I mean, you had they they want proof that it really is, you know, cataracts, which was easy to do. But then there's when you talk about the type of surgery you can get, there's the basic surgery, right, that just removes the cataracts. But now she needs bifocals because I can't explain the intricacies of it. But there's something about the lens in the eye that has to be replaced. And there's different levels of what lens you can get. Right. So if you want the Cadillac lens, that's not covered by insurance. If you want the basic lens that will require bifocals um, and potentially could still, you know, lead to more vision impairments, that's what's covered. Um, so we ended up paying, I want to say it was upwards of like 20K out of pocket for you know the Cadillac version of the lens that would best protect her vision. And even with that, we know that her vision is still kind of fragile, right? We still know that at some point um, she may need glasses. She may need additional eye care. 
Um, we're just really hoping that she doesn't need another surgery in her life, right? Like we're just really hoping that, you know, if she needs glasses, that's fine. Um, but we're just really hoping that she the cataracts don't like reappear or some other effect happens as she grows and then she needs another surgery. But those are the two main things that we're keeping track of. That's understandable. And just for folks who may not be familiar with the term, you mentioned Cadillac lens. Could you explain? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to because remember, this is for older adults. Right. So there's a market for this. Um, Cadillac lens means like super crystal clear vision. It's think of it as like the way your vision is after you get LASIK surgery. Um, that's, that's what the Cadillac lens can do. And I call it the Cadillac lens because it's, Got it's, the, it. it's like okay. a luxury version, right? It's like the highest technology. Um, it, it, you know, was a, it, it has FDA approval in the United States now, but it, you know, it's, it's pretty new. Um, and it's supposed to be like top of the line. So that's what it is. It's kind of like on the scale of options you have, there is a, you know, there's the Cadillac version, there's the Honda version, and then there's the bike you have to choose between those, but you're, you're, it's a financial decision more so than a medical decision. So aside from the doctor's appointment and the follow-up care and things that you mentioned, how does your immediate household, your family accommodate the needs of not just your daughter, because you have a son as well. So your children as a whole. Yeah. So my son, um, he will be nine this year and he has high functioning autism. And that did not come, CMV did not come up when he was diagnosed with autism. No, none of the psychiatrists or therapists that have helped diagnose him or treat him have ever mentioned CMV as being possibly connected. And that's something that I'm still researching and looking into. But between the two of them, um, our day-to-day household really just functions on making sure that, that we monitor any changes in their developmental needs. I am very big on nutrition. I am very big on food being a healing source. So my grocery bill is ridiculous because we spend a lot of money on organic foods. We started growing our own fruits and vegetables in our backyard most recently just to test out if that would, you know, better give them the nutrient density that they need versus what you can get in the grocery store. And I think as a parent, you feel a bit handicapped because honestly, there's not a lot you can do. It's a, it's kind of like a, let's wait and see what happens and tackle it when we can. Um, so the best thing I try to do is just say, how can I prevent some of the things that could happen? And based on the reading I've done, nutrition is, you know, is one of your best sources of prevention, not just for CMV related issues, but pretty much any health issue. So we focus a lot on fruits and vegetables. We do a lot of vegetable smoothies. Um, we try to stay away from grain um, because the research that we've said, you know, especially for him being on the spectrum, that can affect mood and behavior. I mean, sugar in general, I think everybody knows that. So we really try to stay on top of their diet because we feel like that's our best, that's sort of the, the, the best effort we can put in right now, in addition to just staying on top of their medical care. I think you already um, kind of gave us some advice, but I would like to ask um, for some more advice. And what kind of advice would you give to other families that are also navigating um, CMV? Yeah, um, I would say one of the most important things to me was to have 
people in my friend circle and in my family who have a medical background that I could go to with with questions. Um, That was really helpful. One of my best friends is a NICU nurse and, you know, she has worked with CMV babies quite a bit. So she was kind of able to tell me like, okay, here's what to expect. She's probably going to go to the NICU and she's born. She's probably going to be smaller. And just having that heads up was really helpful. Um, I think another piece of advice I would say is as much as possible, try to consolidate your medical care. Um, like find a team that you know you can stick with long term. If they are all at the same health system, that's helpful because one of the most annoying things to do is have to explain CMV to every single therapist, every single pediatrician, every single clinician that touches your child. Because a lot of even clinicians have not really been educated on what this is and how it can affect kids. So it's been really helpful to just have that consistency of having the same family medicine provider. Uh, the same eye doctor who has been there since the beginning, um, you know, working with our kids and working with our family because it just cuts down on that learning curve that even a lot of clinicians have to climb to really understand how to best care for your child. No, that makes sense. And, you know, one of our area of focus as far as those that we want to make sure we're educating and providing adequate resources to our, our, our healthcare providers and clinicians and providers who, who treat and see those impacted by congenital CMV. So thank you for that. I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. And aside from advice, I, I just mentioned resources. I think resources are so, so key. You know, folks get this diagnosis. Some are like deer in headlights. I've, a lot of people, I've never heard about this. I don't know what to do. What's going to happen? We're not sure. We got to watch and wait. What does that mean? How much is this going to cost? So on and so mm-hmm. forth. And so from your experience and your journey, what are some supportive resources that you recommend to others? And I know you work in the digital literacy space, the health literacy space. So as it relates to your line of work and what you've seen and what you know works well um, based on those domains, what are some resources you would recommend or would suggest? Or Yeah, I mean, offline, I think the best sources of support are just other moms, right? Other parents who are um, navigating the same issues and trying to figure it out. If your child is in school and you can encourage the school to like form a group of parents who are also navigating these issues, it's really helpful because then you can kind of bounce insight off each other about how this is affecting the child's school performance. So that's one resource I would recommend. Um, the other one, I mean, you know, as you know, you know, having a a medical literacy background, I'm very comfortable going into the literature and reading studies, but I know everybody is not comfortable with that. So this is why I think organizations like the National CMV Foundation are so important for translation, mainly to translate some of that complex information to parents who are who may or may not have a medical background and they may or may not be freaking out about what this means for their child. And just to kind of give them actionable steps based on the literature that they can then take into their their doctor's appointments, they can can put on the child's IEP, they can really do something with this information. I think one of the biggest things about being a parent of a child affected with CMV is feeling empowered, right? Feeling like you're doing whatever is within your sphere of influence to give your child the best shot. So, you know, the National CMV Foundation, I think, plays a good role in just like, how do we take the literature that's circulating and, and the, the research that's being done and translate this to moms and dads who are just trying to figure out, like, can my child, you know, 
play in the monkey bars the same way other kids can, considering how much smaller she is than everyone else, right? Like these are questions that my husband and I have to ask all the time, especially when it comes to my child's gross motor. Um, what is what does her condition mean for us? What does this information mean for us? Mm. You said a lot. It sounds really, really good. All that you said, you gave a lot of good key pointers. You shared a lot of good advice and resources that I think will help families in general feel empowered as they listen to this. You know, as we talk to families, there's a lot of grief with among some folks, some folks, there's mm-hmm. a lot of guilt, and then there's a lot of anxiety. I just don't know what to expect. So I love the idea of forming these close relationships with others who may have or have not heard about CMV, but whose children may be battling different disabilities, right? Um, kind of sharing best practices and resources. And then, of course, making the information, uh, translating it in a way that's understandable, Um Period. You know, because even those with a medical background, it's like even even folks who work in public health may not understand the insurance jargon. Right. So Mm -hmm. health literacy, we know, is not just based on educational level, although that can impact it. We know that you have folks um, who are in the healthcare system who are not as familiar with CMV. So I really like what you said about breaking it down into action steps once you make the information digestible um, into everyday terms. And so thank you so much for uh, giving us a shout out. And I'm super happy to hear that you thought we had been an impactful and supportive resource for you and your family and others. And so I want to personally thank you for your time today. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your family's story, your journey, um, your daughter's story. And we just are so grateful to all the resources, information, and advice that you've given to our listeners. And so um, just for those listening in, again, you can find more on the National CMV Foundation and Congenital CMV in general on our website, nationalcmv.org. Please go ahead and check us out. You can also follow us on our social media channels. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram are our most active. You can stay abreast of all of our activities and events that way as well. And Kadisha, any final thoughts? I think the only final thought, I guess, would speak to what you just mentioned is about the guilt that I guess some parents can feel. Um, I mean, this this is a virus that is spread from parent to child during pregnancy. And I struggled with that for a for a brief minute, but then I shut it down completely because I'm like, you know, this is obviously not something that, you know, is intentional. This is not something that we even know about. Um, and I think that that grief can be. I mean, that grief, I'm sorry, not grief. I think that guilt can really just be um, a distraction. I think it is a, um, I think it's an attack on on, on families, like from, from just negative um, thoughts that we can have because we feel like we're supposed to be perfect for our kids. And I would just encourage any parents who are struggling with CMV to, know that you don't have to dwell on all your feelings. Like all of your feelings and thoughts don't deserve your attention and time. And that feeling of guilt is definitely one of them that does not deserve even a second of your time. And I love that you say that. In closing, I often I often share with, with um, folks, you know, I think it's us as adults that feel like love is spelled perfection, right, to our kids. When in all actuality, love to them is spelled T-I-M-E. So when you do the best with what you have and you dedicate your time and effort to your child, um, give yourself a pat on the back. That's commendable, especially amongst the CMV, CMV odyssey. It's a lot. It is a lot. So each day you take a step forward and get through the day is a win. So 
Again, Kadisha, thank you so much for sharing your story. For those listening in, again, you can stay abreast of all of our activities and events on nationalcmv.org. Everyone have a wonderful day.